Okay, open your Bibles to the Pentateuch this morning. Sorry, no, 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 no. We're in Revelation still. Sorry, I, I got, I got caught up. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and get started with prayer. Gracious God, thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to be together this morning as brothers and sisters in Christ to learn more about you, to learn more about your word, to learn more about your awesomeness throughout the entire creation. Thank you, Lord, for Miles and uh, the ministry that he has with our young people. And Lord, continue to bless him, we ask you. But I pray for the entire church that we will continue to learn and grow and that all that we do, Father, will be done to honor and glorify your name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand with me, we're going to be looking at five verses today. The first five from Revelation chapter 8. Hear now God's word. This is where John has written to us. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints of the, on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. This is God's word for God's people. May God be praised. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Okay. Uh, to start off, I'm going to. I don't have, when we get through, I don't have the catechism question. Somehow or another, I did not get the Apostles' Creed nor the catechism question on it. I didn't either, so. I, I don't know what I did. Well, I, I'll. When I, I do, I print out the uh, the order of worship for uh, Terry each week, and every week my the order of worship today it was sixty six pages, so it's been anywhere from sixty two to seventy eight pages every, every week. So I don't my wife's computer doesn't do it, mine does. So go figure. It's got to be something I'm doing. I mean. Huh? You must go through a lot of reams of paper. Well, yeah. My wife said, you didn't do that this morning. I know I didn't. I didn't. I, I, I condensed it, but then it's too small. So go figure. All right. There's a lot of what may be symbolic descriptions here. Perhaps they're graphic and they're real from 8, 1 through 5. I can't say for certain. I again remind you about this study in the book of Revelation, though. First, we do not know when Christ will return. I think Brett suggested a few Sundays ago, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, but as far as I know, I won't let you forget that one. Okay, Brett? Uh, but as far as I know, we are still here. One day, you'll get the last laugh, though, okay? Maybe. We'll laugh together on our way up. <laughs> Maybe. It will be stunning after. 
The, the second, perhaps more important thing to remember here is, is we'd better be ready when he does return. Today, I think, will be further evidence of that statement, I think. Today, we'll talk about the Lamb, Jesus, opening up the seventh seal along with a, a half hour of silence, which then produces seven angels blowing seven trumpets. Also in these five verses, we'll see an angel standing at the altar with a golden censer. And this angel was given a lot of incense to offer up. The smoke from the incense being sent up with the prayers of all the saints on this altar. This isn't enough, however. The angel takes the censer, fills it with fire from the altar, and he throws it down upon the earth. And after that action came thunder and lightning and an earthquake. Does all that make sense to you? Since I just explained what we just read? Well, it doesn't make sense to me either. But let's see if we can unravel a little bit of this, what I would consider to be confusion. Maybe we can. Maybe I'll just confuse you even more. I'll forewarn you, though, that the number seven will be used in sequence for a while from here on throughout the book of Revelation. If you look at Revelation 1.19, you'll see that a lot of what's described in this book will be in the future. We can see here that a fire is thrown down on the earth here in this section, verse 5 specifically. That means the earth is still here. Some say the tribulation period will be over. If the last person, now this is my opinion here, If the last person of the elect has been called home, then yeah, that probably will be the case. Now, how all that plays out is honestly beyond me. However, if everyone who is to be saved is gone from this planet, I for sure would not want to be on the face of this earth when that time comes. Know as well, his judgment will be swift and sure. So to that end, rather than be frightened of this book, we should hold no fear for what it holds for the rest of the unsaved world. Remember that. This book is our friend, even though we may not be able to necessarily understand it totally. The seventh seal opens the door for 14 more judgments, seven bowls and seven trumpets. But at the opening of the seventh seal, all is quiet, eerily quiet. The quiet, though, speaks volumes. The time has come for what's been talked about for centuries, what has been promised, hoped for, dreaded. These 30 minutes, the half hour of silence, brings on total destruction and chaos. It's the calm before the storm. If this is one, if this is this one last moment for a lost soul to repent, well, Ezekiel eighteen thirty two says, "For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone," declares the Lord God. So turn and live. However, we are at the point; grace is about to end. Judgment is about to begin. After that time of silence, seven angels appeared. Seven trumpets were given to them. Stop right there for just a second. 
We'll take this passage and attempt to break it down a little bit more into more manageable chunks. Okay, when we think of trumpets in the scriptures, what do we associate with them? Think about that for a second. Think about Joshua 6. The trumpet blown uh, gave calls for all to shout, and the walls of Jericho came falling down. Numbers 10 verse 9 tells us that when you prepare to go to war, to defend your land from oppression, the trumpet should sound that you may be remembered before the Lord your God and be saved from your enemies. Look at this same passage, but it's 1 through 10. You'll see, uh, Numbers 10, you'll see several places concerning the use of silver trumpets and what they would be used for. Look in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52, tells us that the last trumpet will be changed. We will be changed, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Trumpets here are good things, are they not? But when it comes to the revelation, trumpets mean a time of judgment. Pay close attention to where trumpets are used here, for they almost always will mean there is a fall or perhaps some major event is about to take place. Trumpets, particularly the seven trumpets discussed, are oftentimes stated that they were used for a number of possible scenarios. The seventh trump being the uh, the call in 1 Corinthians 15. Yet there can be No real uh, proof of any of that. You have to remember here that there is so much of revelation that is used as as symbolic. Not to necessarily mean that we are privy to know those particular uses. Back to the angels. Hold those angels right there for the time being. Let's look at what we find in verses 3 through 5 for just a moment. First we see an angel. Did an altar, a golden incense burner. Incense, prayers, smoke, and sounds. Does any of this sound familiar? Well, some places I read say that there is no similarity at all between what I am about to tell you and our reading today. But if you will look at Leviticus 16, 11 through 14, while we see and think in Revelation 8, 3 through 5 that this is representing a point in time that has not occurred yet, That all will take place when we reach uh, the end of life upon this earth. This description has already taken place in Leviticus, specifically in the tabernacle. More specifically, on the Day of Atonement. Verse 16 goes so far as to say that Aaron, the high priest, shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions. That is all of their sins. But do you see the difference here in Leviticus and in the book of Revelation? Jesus had already cleansed his people from their sins in heaven. There was was no reason to have a holy of holies in heaven. It wasn't needed. It wasn't necessary. Heaven was already pure. I just found that to be an interesting parallel, right or wrong. So we move on. Gives you something else to study, okay? So in verse 3, we see another angel. Some believe it's Jesus. There's no proof of that. Jesus is no longer the intercessor for earthly 
circumstances. He is now in heaven awaiting the beginnings of judgment. Some view this angel as the high priest. However, honestly, if he was the high priest, I think that would have been stated. The high priest is Jesus. The statement was made that another angel had the golden censer. Jesus was not another angel, nor an angel at all, as I understand it. But this angel had a golden censer with a lot of incense. Of course, with incense burning, there comes a lot of smoke as a byproduct, right? Well, back in my hippy-dippy days, a good while ago, more than two weeks ago, we used a lot of incense for various and sundried reasons. But you could always anticipate a window being left open to get rid of some of the smoke, again, for a number of different reasons. But you could always anticipate having to do that, or you wouldn't be able to breathe. The censors we may have seen in certain religious events outside the ARP church would probably be hanging on a rope or on a chain of some sort. You couldn't, you couldn't really hold it close to you. I mean, you couldn't have a sensor like this because there'd be so much smoke right there in your face. It'd just about choke you to death. Now, in the Catholic Church, if my understanding of incense and its use is accurate, this would be used as a symbolic gesture of sorts, representing prayers that are going up and ascending into heaven to God. Yet, prayers... And incense work together. Look at Psalm 141, verse 2, where David says, Let my prayers be counted as incense before you. The smoke, along with the prayers, were added to the golden altar before the throne of God. The golden altar would be where the place was where the prayers were offered up. Now, seeing and understanding this fragrance reminds us of Ephesians 5, verse 2, where we're told that Christ gave himself up for us as a sweet, fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Concerning the incense, we in the Reformed Church do not use incense as a means by which our prayers ascend to heaven. No, one simple term that we could use or should use in all our prayers will do the job more effectively than incense ever thought about. Do you think Jesus had incense around when he was praying to his Father in heaven? I sincerely doubt it. By using the term at the end of our prayers of in Jesus' name, we can be assured our prayers are going to be heard by God himself. Isaiah 12.4 tells us to give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people, proclaim that his name is exalted. John 16, 23 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of my Father, uh, of the Father in my name, He will give it to you. Verse 24 of John 16 says, Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. In other words, you ask in Jesus the Lord's name and we're going to receive great joy. Considering this verse a bit more, I find it interesting. In verse 4, the statement concerning the prayers of the people being lifted up to God. I think those prayers could be any number of pleas, requests, praises, and thanksgivings. First of all, 
for those who were there. I believe praises to God for His grace and mercy given through His Son, Jesus, would be in order. I believe thanksgivings would be in order because those who had been redeemed, those who had perhaps had gone through all of the trials and tribulations of the last days or in their lives whenever they lived, all of that was over and done with. They were saved. They were home. They were in glory. They should be rejoicing. But if you look at chapter 6, verse 10... Concerning the fifth seal, their pleas and requests were more than for just themselves. They cried out with a loud voice, How long, O sovereign Lord, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? You see the way I understand this? Those who had created those trials and tribulations for those who had been killed on earth and were now in heaven... These folks had not received their judgment and reward yet. So the, the prayers in 8.4 would be so very varied. They'd be asking for so many different things. Potentially so many things, praises, pleas, all of this can all be going on at one time. And yet, we could do that today, couldn't we? Every single last one of us in this room today could offer up a prayer to God at one particular time. In fact, when we had our call to worship, when we had that time to be able to to do business, as Brett says, to do business with God, every single last one of us had a different prayer, did we not? We didn't have a rote prayer to offer up to God. But you know what? He heard every one of them. He heard every single last word of every single one of our prayers during that time period. He hears them all. And we can be assured also that in response in their prayers, judgment's going to fall. This is what's coming. We have proof of that once again in chapter 6, verse 11, where they were given a white robe and told to rest a little bit longer until the number of their fellow brothers and servants should be complete, who were to be killed or, and or persecuted as they themselves had been. In other words, when all our tribulations have been completed here upon this earth. This is how I see this particular verse panning out. So let's look at our last verse for this morning, verse 5. The angel takes the censer, fills it with fire from the altar, and he throws it onto the earth. After he does this, there was thunder and voices and lightning and earthquakes. Or an earthquake. Let's start with another reversal of an occurrence in the tabernacle. Again, go back to Leviticus 16, 11 through 15. The high priest took a censer into the Holy of Holies as he carried the piece, uh, the piece full of coals of fire, two handfuls of incense, and also blood from the sacrificed bull along with blood from the sacrificed goat. It was killed and sprinkled both on and in front of the mercy seat. All this done inside or material taken inside the Holy of Holies. This time in Revelation, the coals and fire from the altar found in the censer, they were cast down upon the earth. Basically, if I understand this right, and maybe I don't, The prayers that had been offered up to God 
as incense before, those answers are now coming down to earth. The martyrs of chapter 6 who asked for God to avenge their deaths, those who had rejected God and those who perhaps had followed through with many of those martyrs' deaths and persecutions, judgment for their sins was just about to take place. Here's another interpretation of what was about to happen that I read. The thunder or thunderings denotes the approach of the coming storm of God's judgment. The voices is necessarily a nature wreaking havoc. It's more about God's directions here. God is in control. The lightning comes, if, if you'll notice, after the thunder. It's the total opposite of what normally happens, isn't it? We always see the lightning first and then thunder. I always figure for every second it's about a fifth of a mile away. Eh? The announcement of the coming of God's judgment plays a larger role here, I think. The earthquake, not earthquakes, plural, is the earth's response to the incredible pressures placed upon the earth during this judgment period. And yet... We have a mention of earthquakes in several places in the Revelation. Look at chapter 6, verse 12. This sounds very similar to what we read about in 8.5. Yet we will see earthquakes in other places in the Revelation. Chapter 11, verses 13 and 19. Chapter 16, verse 18. Earthquakes are quite prevalent throughout the Bible. Perhaps the most notable earthquake we can, can see is found in Matthew 27, 51 and 54. This is just after Jesus died on the cross. Earthquakes seem to denote God's making statements. Maybe his talking about his authority and power. Maybe it's his anger. Maybe it's his disgust with us. But he is making his... Uh, his thoughts known to the world through these earthquakes. Or maybe I'm just way off base here. But the bottom line is that even in these circumstances, the end of the earth doesn't come yet. When the seventh seal was opened, the seven trumpets then would sound. We'll be looking at those trumpets in the next few weeks. The thing I think we need to remember, and frankly, I am speaking to myself only here, is when we have to understand that when we think of the end of time, the end of days, generally, I feel like everything is going to come in one fell swoop, right? Just like bam, 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 bam. It's one thing after another. If nothing else. Throughout the book of Revelation and through prophecies previous to this, we'll hear about seven years. We'll hear about a a thousand days. We'll hear about a thousand year reign. These are specific time periods. Not like it's going to be a a one and done type of thing. uh, or, Or so it sounds, at least anyway, to me. Not sure that's the case. Maybe, it's, maybe it is, and maybe it just is not. I don't know. But if for no other reason than in my mind, there is one thing for sure. God's mercy is still out there somewhere searching for that one last soul. I have to believe that's why these events are not so spontaneous 
are so rapid fire. And one other aspect that I read with one commentary, one that I'd never thought about before, one that might be accurate or is in many of my thoughts concerning the book of Revelation is so far off base it's ridiculous. Since John is reporting these things from heaven, where eternity begins and never ends, it might be hard to grasp or assign a chronological and or sequential element to these judgments and do it in a way that's accurate and that makes sense. We've got to understand that no matter how difficult they may be to get a good understanding of, we have to believe, though, they are real. You see, they're written in this here book. And in this here book, if it's written, it's God's Word. And if it's God's Word, it is the truth. And we, take, we can take great faith in knowing that it will happen. My feeling on that. We've got to understand that no, how, no matter how difficult it may be to get a good understanding of, we have to believe that, that, is, that they're accurate. Even if we cannot pin down everything to be able to get a definite end to things here on earth. Again, we know that there's going to be an end, don't we? We believe that there is going to be an end to everything that is, is on this earth. So that we have, to take, we have to have no doubt whatsoever. But when? When's it all going to happen? Well, that's the tricky part, I guess. I mean, nobody on this earth can really say. Men for thousand or 2,000 years, if not longer, have been prophesying, have been declaring. They know the, the insides and outs of God's thinking. That's a tough one. But nobody knows the day or the moment when that time will come. I just don't. I wouldn't even begin to guess something like that. But we do know one thing, and this is certain. We need to be ready for that day and time when all of the earth will be no more. And as we've said, we need to especially be concerned for the lost of the world. I don't know of anyone that I would want to have faced that ending without Jesus Christ in their lives. Though we have an inkling of an idea, the end of days will be a far greater sequence of events than we could ever be ready for or be able to comprehend. We just know enough to be confused, a bit unsettled, maybe even a little concerned. And yet we know how the end all settles out, don't we? God's got it all under his control, no matter what. Need more be said? Let's pray. Father, thank you again uh, for these lessons. Uh, it is interesting to be able to delve into um, such a book, uh, to not be totally sure of anything, and yet we can bank on your word. We know that the overall theme is going to come through. You are going to end this world at some point in time. Those who have been evil, who do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, who have created the tribulation and trials for so many over the years, their judgment will come. 
And so, Father, can we just look to you for the for those simple facts? We know who wins. It's you. And Jesus Christ will come back to this earth. And we, the bride of Christ, will be waiting for him. Bless us to that end. We ask you, it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.